Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason, Ben Mandel, Dylan Mel joining us. Guys, you ever realize your last names rhyme a little bit? It's a very good flow to it. But uh, we're going to be covering the most controversial division in baseball, the AL West. Controversial because you have the Astros. A lot of people still have a lot of strong opinions on them. You have the Angels who are wasting away the careers of two of the best players of all time. The Mariners who were dubbed America's team last year. Just a lot of fun stuff to talk about there. But before we get into it, there is some news. In the World Baseball Classic qualifier against Team USA, Jose Altuve got hit by a pitch and he broke his right thumb. He's going to be out. It's an undetermined timetable, but I'm hearing rumblings six to eight weeks. We'll get more into that when we talk about the Astros, but that's probably the most important news to come out of the uh, baseball world recently. Also, Olivia Picardo, Brown University, she's the first woman to play Division I NCAA baseball. She got a pinch hit in the bottom of the ninth versus Bryant. She grounded out to first. 10-1 loss to Bryant, but you know, good for her getting in there. Also, the Yankees, they make players pay for in-flight Wi-Fi. And this is something I need to hear how you guys feel about. Is that wrong? Do you care? The Yankees are making them pay like, I don't know, like $15 or something for in-flight Wi-Fi. How do you feel? Is it $15 per flight? Because if that's the case, that's just, that's outrageous. I mean. It might not be that high as 15, but it is a per flight basis. That Either way, that's still kind of just like, really? You're the New York Yankees. Why? It doesn't make sense to me why they would do that and why they would even want something like that to get out to the public. Yeah, Ben, I don't think that this is something that the Yankees wanted to get out to the public. Uh, Brett Gardner just kind of let it slip coincidentally. Funny enough, the Yankees are only one of two teams in the MLB that make their players pay for in-flight Wi-Fi, the other being the Cincinnati Reds. The Yankees had a valuation of $6 billion. It's just almost inexcusable. We all know that the Yankees are one of those teams that payroll doesn't really matter for. So it's just kind of like a little comical at this point to hear that they cut corners on in-flight Wi-Fi. Um, I wonder if since this story came out, if this season as like a, a PR stunt or something for social media, the Yankees will cover it because, you know, they wouldn't even notice it on their bottom line. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing, though, that I'm taking away from this, you got a guy like Lou Trevino who came from the poorest franchise, the Oakland A's. And he said it's weird that the A's cover it and the Yankees don't, but that it doesn't really matter because the Yankees, they basically have uh, the fanciest private planes out of every team. They got pool tables, ping pong tables, just other things to do to occupy yourselves from the flight. You don't really need to be on your phone. You could have Wi-Fi. Again, you could pay for it. But also, uh, if you have, I think it was AT&T, they're partnered with uh, whichever company the Yankees use for their flights, and you get free Wi-Fi as it is. So that's what Judge said. He's a partner with AT&T, and he said that, he already gets the free Wi-Fi anyway, so it doesn't really matter to him. And uh, if you have, uh, if you're a partner with whichever airline it was, I don't think they they released which airline they use. I, but it, I think I heard rumors that it's Delta. That if you're a Delta like Gold partner or whatever it is, you also get free Wi-Fi. So there's ways to get it. Not many players need to actually pay for it, and the ones that do, 
it doesn't really hurt their bottom line either too much. But at the end of the day, you think that this is something that the Yankees should just cover. Yeah, I think you actually answered what I was going to say, Corey, because I was going to say you really don't. There might be other reasons why the Yankees do this. And I think one is that, you know, you really don't know what they want their players doing on the, on the flight. I know for a fact that on team bus rides for like football in high school, they wanted us to just sit with our teammates, focus on the game. Now, these guys are adults. Obviously, that's not the case, but maybe they want some of that team bonding camaraderie that comes together when, you know, you see Michael Jordan and the Bulls playing poker on the on the flights and stuff like that. So, you know, there is more opportunity for camaraderie when the guys aren't just on their phones and on their devices. So I can understand that. And, you know, like you said, Corey, it is a little bit weird that it isn't just included, but I think there might just be an ulterior motive to it because really how much does it cost for them to just have Wi-Fi on the plane? I I can't see it being that much. And like Dylan said, I believe you can hide that in the budget. Yeah. I remember high school baseball, our senior year, Ben, the, uh, the popular thing to do was play Clash Royale with everybody on the bus. That was a fun yeah. time. Well, with my five below speaker in the back playing music. That too. But it's it's all about camaraderie and whether you get it through Wi-Fi or doing other stuff. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But uh, something that does really matter, Diamond Sports Group, they're the owner of 14 teams' broadcast rights. They're filing for bankruptcy. Now, this is something that we knew was going to kind of happen. They're, they're also the owners of Bally Sports. Bally Sports owner of the worst score bug in sports. It's just, this was expected, but it's going to be tough to figure out what happens. They were $8 billion in debt, and Bally Sports will be continuing to operate as normal. They have some money left for that to happen. But if Bally Sports doesn't pay teams what they're owed, because that's what operating as normal is, the teams need to get paid. These uh, RSNs, these regional sports networks, that accounts for a large portion of what teams bring in to pay for payroll and other stuff. That's the biggest moneymaker. It's not tickets. It's not concessions. It's what these regional TV markets pay to bro- for the broadcast rights per quarter, I believe it is. So if Bally Sports doesn't pay, Major League Baseball teams are going to pull out of their contracts because there is a clause in those contracts that state if they're not paid, they can terminate the deal. And if that happens, MLB is going to try to put games on local cable, and streaming. MLB Network and Comcast and these other cable networks are going to put these games on for them. And if that happens, one of the biggest things that fans have been asking for, Rob Manfred said, will end up going into play. And that's having in-network games, in-region games on MLB TV. Now, those won't be free. You're going to have to pay a separate fee for them. But in addition to your out-of-network package, you'll get your in-region package as well. So you'll be able to watch your team in those big blackout markets. And that that's cause for celebration for a lot of fans. Yeah, Corey, I definitely think this is a, a pretty interesting topic at hand. And if this was maybe five or 10 years ago as a fan, I'd have a lot more concern than I do now with streaming services so accessible. You know for a fact, if all goes south, the MLB will make sure that these games are available to watch one way or another, whether it's for free or with a you know a fee if it's a regional game for you. And who knows, perhaps this is a direction that the MLB wanted to move in anyways. 
instead of a middleman getting money for their games, you just stream them all on your MLB TV, your MLB app, and all the funds go to you. Hardcore baseball fans will pay to see their team locally. I know I would, and I'm sure you guys would as well. That said, let's get into the meat of this. AL West. Guys, I said it earlier, but this is probably the most controversial division. And last year, the standings, there was a bit of a surprise in there. Houston Astros, they went 106 and 56. A lot of people thought that they would take a step back, but they really just exceeded expectations again, especially winning the World Series. Seattle Mariners, 90 and 72. They made a big jump. Let's see if they can continue that this year. The Angels, 73 and 89. A lot of people picked them to win the, uh, to make the playoffs, if not win the division, to at least be a wild card team. And that makes sense when you have the two best players in all of baseball. Do we pick that poison again? Texas Rangers, 68 94. And the Oakland Athletics, 60 and 102. And let's start with them. Team with the worst record last year, the Oakland A's. They're going to be trotting out Shintaro Fujinami, Drew Brzezinski, Kyle Muller, James Caprillion. Adam Aller, we should note that their lone all-star from last year, Paul Blackburn, he's going to miss the early part of the season with a fingernail issue. Timetable's not really known on him, but we all know how fingernails with pitchers can be a little tricky. Their lineup, catching for them, Shea Langliers, first base, Jesus Aguilar, second base, Tony Kemp, third base, Jace Peterson, shortstop, Nick Allen, left field, Seth Brown, center field, Ramon Laureano, right field, Christian Pachi, and their DH is going to be a Ledmus Diaz, but I'm sure that's going to be a rotating option for them. Now, my question is, though, is this the type of Oakland team full of nobodies that will somehow make the wild card and be a pain in the butt for everybody? We've seen this happen before. I wouldn't be surprised, but I just feel like they're so devoid of talent that that, that might not happen. Yeah, Corey, uh, I think it's funny that you... You used that. You set me up here because I know you and I have kind of talked about this uh, off the air a little bit. And it's the fact that whenever it feels like this Oakland team starts to go through the rebuild and really just kind of revamp things and just go from there, it seems like that's when they they end up being good and getting back into the playoffs and reopening that window. I think they do have some talent. I like Christian Pache. I think Jesus Aguilar is someone who's got a lot of power. If his fielding does become a liability, they can slide him into their DH as like an everyday DH kind of role, figure out someone else to play first base. I like Shea Langliers. I think he's a great piece to get back in the Murphy trade. I know Murphy is someone that they weren't, that fans aren't going to be thrilled that they got rid of, but to get Langliers Lears back in the process was big. Again, I think Christian Pache will be a strong player for them. We all know Ramon Laureano. He's a solid player. He can play a little bit as well. I like Tony Kemp, uh, Jace Peterson. He is what he is. It's, it's a team that it doesn't jump out to you, but at the same time, you know, they definitely can perhaps go and win games. The pitching rotation is where the question marks are going to come. And if a few of those guys can step up, then things might be a little bit different in Oakland. Yeah, Ben. Uh, unfortunately, I don't share your same optimism. Uh, I view this Oakland Athletics team as the one that paves the way for the Las Vegas Athletics. Uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Oakland of the city losing the team, the ownership group losing the team. You know, it feels like most of my 
life, this team has been a bottom of the barrel team and a move is destined to come for them. And yeah, they have some talented pieces. This is the big leagues. Every team's got a couple guys that you could at least enjoy watching, but unless the Oakland athletics are playing your favorite team, I'm guessing you're watching a different game that's on. Yeah. I I don't think these A's are going to be any good. You know, it's nice to think that a bad team can make it, but the A's, they won a little run a few years ago. I mean, they played the Yankees in the uh, 2018 wildcard game, but outside of that, they've kind of dipped further and further down. They've gotten back some decent prospects for making some good trades, but they're just not a team I see winning very many games. A team, though, that I do think is going to win a couple games more than people expect, the Texas Rangers. Their rotation, Jacob deGrom, Nathan Eovaldi, John Gray, Martin Perez, Andrew Heaney, a lot of decent names in there. Everybody here knows every name. That's a name. Those are, uh, that's a type of rotation that's working, you know, high risk, high reward there. Their lineup, catching for that Mitch Garver, first base, Nathaniel Lowe, second base, Marcus Simeon, third base, Josh Jung, shortstop, Corey Seager, left field, Leody Tavares, center field, Adolis Garcia, right field, Robbie Grossman. And guys, I said it before this rotation, high risk, high reward. What do we expect from them? You have a guy like DeGrom who has missed a lot of time due to injury. This is now a new team for him after he left the Mets. Nathan Eovoldi, again, missed a lot of time throughout his career due to injury. John Gray, same deal, especially coming from the Rockies. Martin Perez, he finally put it together last year. But again, another guy that's missed a lot of time due to injury. And I don't know, this is going to sound mean, but Andrew Haney just flat out sucks. It was a terrible trade by the Yankees. But as your fifth starter for a team that's rebuilding that has good prospects, that's somebody we should look out for. Yeah, I think that this team should be better. And I thought they should have been better than they were last year, to be honest. It's a strong pitching staff now, especially stronger compared to what they threw out last year. Martin Perez was their best pitcher last year. And really, if if you think about it, this this group that the Rangers brought in, I, I mean, they really, outside of John Gray, this is a whole slew of new pitchers. And, you know, you hope, obviously, you give Jacob DeGrom that money, you plan on him staying healthy and pitching. And if he does, this team should win more games. They threw all the money at Marcus Semien and Corey Seager last year. This is a lineup that should be able to hit this year. I think Brad Miller's a solid guy that they brought in from Philadelphia last year. I think that this is definitely a group that will be more inclined to compete. It's a difficult division to compete in with all the talent that they're going to see outside of Oakland. But I think Martin Perez is probably the worst pitcher on here. I think Heaney, yeah, I don't love him. I don't think he's great. But I think Heaney will be the four. I think Perez will be the five. Ivaldi the three. Gray the two. And DeGrom the one. And that's not a bad rotation if you're getting good stuff behind a healthy DeGrom. If Gray and Ivaldi can just be average, they'll be an all right baseball team. Yeah, the Texas Rangers are one of those teams that I'm really looking forward to watch this year, not because I think that they're true World Series contenders, and we'll get into whether or not we view them as playoff contenders, but they're one of those teams that feels like they're two or three years away from potentially figuring it out. The blueprint and the plan is clear for us, even as fans, to see. Now, when it comes to the pitching rotation, they got some big names in there. They got some good names, but like Corey said, it really ultimately comes down to health for this team, especially for the pitching. And as for the lineup, it's an exciting lineup. 
They got four to six guys that you can depend on night to night to get some hits, and they got some pop. They have perhaps the best middle infield of all in all of baseball in Simeon and Seager in terms of talent. Yes, those guys both had down years last year and didn't really figure it out, but they're a team where the blueprint's there, and I'm excited to watch. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But now going from a team that has, you know, possibly higher expectations to a team that has always gone lower than what people expect them to do. You got the Los Angeles Angels, their rotation that's unique. They're the only team confirmed to be running out a consistent six-man rotation. Shohei Otani, Tyler Anderson, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, Jose Suarez, Tucker Davidson. Their lineup catching for them, Max Stasi, first base, Jared Walsh, second base, Brendan Drury. Third base, Anthony Rendon, shortstop, David Fletcher. Left field, Mike Trout, center field, Taylor Ward. Right field, Hunter Renfro. Their everyday DH when he's not, even when he is pitching, really, is Shohei Otani. And my question is, this is a contract year for Otani. We saw what Judge did last year. Otani's value is astronomical. It's something that I can't even comprehend what he could end up getting as a two-way superstar. But what do you guys expect him to do in a contract year? And if he has a poor year or gets hurt, how bad does that really hurt his value? I think that the big thing for Otani's value is that I think really it's the sky's the limit for him. And I think teams realize that I don't think barring a big elbow injury, I don't think that his value will really take a hit. I think the big thing for Otani is teams just want to get him out of uh, Los Angeles. They want to get him off that team and into the postseason. And I think that's going to be the big pitch. I think that's what teams are really going to push for with Otani. And that's going to be their selling pitch. I don't see him going to a team that's not a contender. But when you look at this Angels team, who knows? Maybe they are able to make the push this year. I, I consistently say every year in and year out that this team should be better than they are. I think, again, their pitching just isn't good enough. They are never doing a good enough job to help get this lineup the support it needs on the mound. And that's really where Los Angeles and the Angels are in a bit of a bind because they still continue to not get them support behind Shohei Otani, who, again, is six-man rotation. You need to have six guys who can do that. And I don't even think they have three starters who I would want on my team. Yeah, Ben, this is going to be a massive year for the Angels because while Mike Trout was loyal and stayed, you know, there's already rumors swirling of Otani leaving and the year hasn't started yet. This is a guy who you can tell from his play in the WBC wants to be an MLB postseason action. And it's bigger than baseball for the Angels. Otani, what he brings to the team's value can't even be discussed enough. And while the lineup on paper every year for the Angels looks outstanding, I mean, you build a lineup around around Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, it's kind of hard to mess that up. But somehow, things always go awry for them. And like you said, it is the pitching. Now, yes, did they bring in Tyler Anderson? Is that a move that I like? Sure. But it feels like he might be one of those guys that was exceeding expectations on the Dodgers because that's a great organization. And when you get to the Angels, you go below expectations because they're a poorly run organization. I expect them to be aggressive at the deadline if they're not in playoff contention, because again, it's bigger than just this season. This is a team that's going to desperately want to keep Shohei Otani, and they have to go all in this year to do so. Yeah, the Angels have been weird. We started the offseason with hearing that they were going to be sold, and Art Moreno was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to keep them. 
I feel like we could see that loyalty from Otani, especially if he feels that the Angels are close. If they make a run in September, he's somebody that could end up staying, saying, I want to finish what I started. But just the idea of a six-man rotation, I just think the talent pool isn't there to make that successful. I know they do that in Japan, and it's really been proven to increase pitchers' arm health. It's just really hard to pull off. The Seattle Mariners now, though, they have possibly the deepest rotation in baseball. They're trotting out Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, Marco Gonzalez, and George Kirby. All five of them are plus players. Their lineup, catching Cal Raleigh, first base Ty France, second base Colton Wong, third base Eugenio Suarez, shortstop J.P. Crawford, left field Jared Kelnick, center field Julio Rodriguez, right field Teoscar Hernandez. They don't have a set DH. They're going to do what they did last year, I'm sure, and just rotate guys through based on matchups. But I know I've been pretty pitching rotation-centric, but is this the best top rotation, uh, best starting five we've seen in baseball? It's just phenomenal. Like, George Kirby could be a bona fide ace down the line, and he's their number five right now. Yeah, I I think that this is certainly a team that is one of the better rotations, and that's just in terms of depth. They definitely have a very strong group back there. I think Marco Gonzalez might take a bit of a dip this year, but I don't know if they're necessarily better than Milwaukee. I don't know if they're necessarily better than the New York Yankees. I know those are... You know, the Yankees are a team we haven't necessarily talked about, but that the Yankees top four is as good as any I've seen in baseball so far. I, I'm not going to sit there and say they're better than the San Diego Padres rotation yet, but this is a group that is definitely very good and I really like it. I think by the end of the season, they might be. I love Luis Castillo at the top. I think Logan Gilbert's a star in the making, and I really like George Kirby. We all know what Robbie Ray can do, and when Robbie Ray is sitting in the middle of your rotation when he was originally signed there to be the ace coming off of a Cy Young season, that's a win. So really, a strong group in Seattle, and it's going with a lineup that's as good as any. Right? Like, this lineup can hit. I like Colton Wong coming in, bring some some veteranness to this group. I love Teoscar Hernandez. The guy has tons of pop. He's able to come in and hopefully provide a spark there. Cal Raleigh has been someone who, I don't know, he's won fans over there in Seattle. But the name I really want to see, the two names I really want to see, outside of Julio Rodriguez, obviously, Ty France and Eugenio Suarez. I think the middle of this lineup is just stacked with power. And it's an exciting time for Seattle Mariners fans. I think they were a year early last year. This is the year where they really can take off. Yeah, Ben, I uh, couldn't agree with you more there on a lot of your analysis. And I like what Corey said at the start of the show about Seattle kind of becoming America's team last year. And I think a lot of that has to do with them being the first real contenders in this AL West to the Houston Astros in what feels like a very long time. They played in the divisional round last year. And while the Astros did sweep them, it was about as close as a sweep can get, which sounds just a little funny to say out loud. But if you watched game by game, you know exactly what I mean. The pitching rotation, it's top tier. It's one of the best in baseball. I am an absolute Luis Castillo stand. So to see him in a winning situation now is just great for me. And I'm real excited to watch this lineup day to day. Teoscar Hernandez coming over from the AL East, you know, me and Corey being Yankee fans, we saw a lot of Teoscar. We know that this guy's got some pop. And in the middle of this order, 
it is going to be a scary scene for every team going up against the Mariners. Yeah, and somebody we didn't even talk about, Dylan Moore, he's dealing with a little bit of injury right now, but he's also a fantastic player, and that just shows how deep this team is. I do think their middle infield could be a little suspect, especially if J.P. Crawford goes down. Not the biggest Colton Wong fan, but all around, they're a team that should be competing. I'm excited to see what happens because great pitching wins. And as long as their offense can do just enough, which it really should, especially led by Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick's having a fantastic spring so far, they're a team that should make a deep run and be a real contender for a World Series. But they're going to have to go through the Houston Astros. Guys, the Astros lost Justin Verlander, but their rotation is still pretty insane. Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, Hunter Brown. Their lineup, Martin Maldonado catching. Jose Abreu at first base coming over from the White Sox. Jose Altuve, as we mentioned earlier, broke his finger. He's going to be out for who knows how long, so there's a big question mark now at second base. Third base, Alex Bregman. Shortstop, Jeremy Pena, who became a star in the postseason last year. Left field, Chaz McCormick. Center field, Jake Myers. Right field, Kyle Tucker. Their DH. He's also my pick to win the MVP this year, Jordan Alvarez. Second base. Could be Jeremy Pena moving over. Could be J.J. Matajevic. Fourth, their fourth-ranked prospect, Pedro Leon, is a second baseman. Danny Echevarria is there. Ryan Goins is there. They can make a trade. David Hensley's been playing there in the, in the preseason and spring training. So I don't really know what they're going to do at second base. How does losing Altuve... For so long, it's going to be at least two months, it seems like, due to the broken finger. How is that going to really affect this team and their mentality? Do they win for him, or does losing his leadership in on-field play kind of make it difficult for them to compete with a team like the Mariners, who are just on the uprise consistently? I think it definitely makes it more difficult, because one of the more important things to look at in this situation as well is this Houston team won their World Series last year. You can say that the first World Series that they won, you know, was because of the cheating scandal. So they were motivated because of that to go win last year. It's hard to stay motivated when you keep winning. And I think that does that mixing with the fact that, you know, they will be without Altuve for a little bit here certainly doesn't make a winning recipe for Houston at the same time their pitching staff even though they lost Verlander is still unbelievably good Framber Valdez Christian Javier Jose Urquidy all have proven to be very strong arms especially Framber Valdez and Christian Javier so I think that's why Houston was so just like you know what if if Verlander doesn't want to sign with us for the money we can give him then that's okay one other name I do want to talk about uh, I do want to just throw out there, I I think, again, a long shot, but uh, he's getting up there. He's over 28 uh, years old, it looks like. Mauricio Dubon. He's a younger guy, but he hasn't really been able to stick. He's someone who I th- will be probably on the lo- on the roster as a depth piece. Maybe he mixes in and gets a little bit of playing time with Altuve out, but he's someone who pretty much plays everywhere on the diamond, so... Not too sure, but I think Mauricio Dubon might find himself playing second base a little bit for the Astros as well, especially because I don't think they're going to want to shift Jeremy Pena over. I'm not too sure if the option they'd have at shortstop would be much better. Yeah, Ben, I think that's certainly a possibility. And here's what I do know about the Astros. Whatever they choose to do, it'll be the right choice. You know, this team is just run so wonderfully from top to bottom. You know, you can exclude 
the cheating scandal, but they're just the definition of excellence lately in baseball. They compete at such a high level. And let's not forget, Jose Altuve started the playoffs last year on what was it, 0 for 25? So what's this lineup going to be like without Altuve? Well, they were good enough to sweep the Mariners, essentially with his at-bats just being outs right off the bat. You bring in Jose Abreu, a former MVP. He's definitely going to be one of those guys that's motivated to win. Yes, the Astros were there last year, but he wasn't. So you know that motivation will be there for him as a player to contribute. And this just doesn't strike me as a team that loses motivation. And yes, they lost Justin Verlander, but they're a team that just has players lined up left and right to take over. If I was an Astros fan, I wouldn't be worried. Yeah, it's hard to be worried when you're when you're consistently the best team in your division. And now moving to the 2023 predictions, that's where I still have them. I still have the Astros winning the division. Altuve on the roster, Altuve hurt, doesn't matter to me. 97 and 65. Pakoda has them at 96 and 66. Either way, to me, they're winning their division. Yeah, Corey, I mean, you know, I agree with you. The Astros are going to win this division. 97 games feels just about right to me, honestly. Um, I know we had talked about going over under, but with the Altuve injury, I don't see this team necessarily hitting the 100 win mark. Obviously, you lose Verlander. The rotation is going to take some time, maybe a month or two to really get straight. But 97 wins and winning this division feels right to me. Yeah, I'd actually go a little bit lower on the wins. I think they're going to be closer to 95, but 97 wouldn't be surprising. 100 wouldn't be surprising to me. I think the big thing is uh, this: the competition is going to be a little bit better. And again, I think you just do take a step back when you lose someone like Verlander, even though their rotation's still good, that leadership's gone. And the same thing with Altuve not being there for the first few months, that could be some games that they miss out on and that keeps them from reaching there. I do think that they still win the division this year, but Seattle will be better, and that's going to be a grind. Texas will be better, and that's going to be a grind, and who knows what we get out of the Angels. In second place, I have the Seattle Mariners, 93-69. and Dakota, however, has them in third place with a record of 83-79, and so quite a big difference between me and Dakota and how we're viewing these Mariners. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to lean Team Corey on this one. I don't know what Pakoda's thinking at 83 wins. I see them more at the 91 range, um, fairly close to you, low 90s. I think we can agree on that. But this is the second best team in the division. I love to know who Pakoda has above them. It's kind of a surprise to us on the show as you go over it. little fourth wall there for the audience. But Julio Rodriguez, that pitching rotation, the addition of Teoscar Hernandez, we went over it. This team's loaded. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I don't think that the Mariners are that bad. I'm just going to assume it's the Angels that they have above them for some reason. It's always the way Pakoda does. Pakoda loves the Angels. They love Otani. I understand that, but the numbers and war and all of that doesn't necessarily point towards uh, Shohei Otani actually winning you that many more games when the pitching staff around him isn't as good because four out of every five or five out of every six days, they're losing games because Otani's not on the mound. Yeah, you guys are right. It, it is the Angels. Pakota has ahead of them. I have the Angels in third place, 81 and 81. So, you know, a marked improvement from last year's 73 win team, but still just 500 baseball. Pakota has them second place, 86 and 76. I just don't think that rotation is built to last through a 162 game season. 
I am a person who has been predicting MLB games for about four years now, and I have continuously fallen into the Angels trap, and I refuse to fall into it again. If they prove me wrong, great. I'll be happy for Mike Trout, especially, and Otani to get some wins. But I think this team is going to be fourth in the division. I see them as a 75-win team at best. The rotation's not built to last. And until the lineup proves to me that they can actually produce rather than just look good on paper and MLB the show, I don't believe it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing also to look at is the health of Mike Trout and Otani. Can those two guys both stay healthy for an entire season along with that rotation? I don't see it. I agree with you, Dylan. I think the Angels are the fourth place team in the American League West this year. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm falling to the Angels' trap, predicting them third, but I, I just don't think the Rangers are quite there. I have them fourth place, 74 and 88. Pakoda has them at 79 and 83, so I'm a little worse there. Yeah, I would agree with Pakoda this time around. I think a 78, 79 wins just under that 80 mark, a little below 500 feels about right to me for this team. Like I said, the blueprint's there, and I think we're going to see stretches throughout the season where it really looks like this team's putting it together. Obviously, the health of Jacob deGrom will play a huge factor, but if they can get a full season or as close to it as possible out of him, I think that they are a better team than the Angels. I agree, and I think it is more than just Jacob deGrom, right? I think John Gray is solid. I think their pitching staff will be better and more competitive, and that alone keeps you in games. And when you have the star power that they have, I think Josh Young at third base is going to be superstar. This is a group of young guys that can play baseball. And then you've got the veterans in Marcus Semien and Corey Seager joining in the lineup. There's a lot of talent there. I think this is a 500 baseball team. I think they're similar to the San Francisco Giants. I think they're going to hover around 500. They're going to struggle to get over it, but they're going to keep themselves from falling too far below it as well. Put them around 80 to 82 wins. So a little controversy going over the last two teams. Not too sure where to put them. One team where I don't think there's any controversy, the Oakland A's. I have them going 63 and 99. Dakota, 65 and 97. I just don't think there's any way they get out of last place here. Yeah, I agree with you, Corey. I'll put them at a clean 62 and 100 just for math's sake for everybody. But this team, like I said, they're going to be in Las Vegas sooner than later. Yeah, I, I agree. While I said earlier that this is a team that seems to surprise you when they're at their worst and when you think they're just not going to do anything, they've done it a few times to me. I don't think it's going to happen this year. It could. I'm, I don't see it. I don't see where the talent comes from. I think they've got some good young pieces. And maybe in two or three years, we see them really start to blossom. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But that's going to do it for us here. Tune in next time. We're going to preview the NL East. Big division there. Give us a read, OutsiderSports.net. Our Twitter, give us a follow, Outsider Sports 3. YouTube, just search Outsider Sports and you'll find us. Until next time. Keep listening to the Outsider Sports Podcast.